time for children's church. So if you're four years old to first grade, it's time to go meet your teachers over there. Goodbye. <laughs> well, my name is Tim Korabek, for those of you who may not know me. And I am a part of the elder team here at Brian Church. Pastor Nathan, as most of you know, is taking uh, the summer break, his summer break for the month of August, and he's asked several of us men to fill in for him while he's doing that this month, and I have the privilege of doing that. Well, when I was asked to fill in, I, of course, started to ponder what I should share. And there was something that I had been learning that as I continued to learn about this and fully started to perceive it, it became for me such a tremendous blessing and such a source of praise that I thought, I need to share this. I think this is what the Lord is having me learn so that I can share it with you. So I am hoping that by the end of this message, you too will have the level of blessing that I have had by learning this. So we're going we're gonna to go pretty deep into Scripture. So I hope you've had your coffee and you're ready to go. Okay, I'm going to start with a question. And this question is for you if you are a teenager or younger, if you're in this room. And my question is, well, Jesus, he rose and went to heaven after he died on the cross at his ascension. And he not only went to heaven, but he went to a specific place in heaven. Does anybody know where that place is? And if you do, you can just say it. Any kids out there might know where that's at? Any adults? Right hand of the Father, correct, yes. The Bible tells us in many places in the New Testament that Jesus rose and was seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay, here's a question that's similar but might require a second thought. Where was Jesus before he came to earth and became a man, and not only then, but before the creation of the world? Where do you think? Same answer. Correct. John 17.5 says, And now, Father, this is Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was just about to be crucified. He's praying his high priestly prayer, and he says, Now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. So Jesus came from the Father at his right hand, came to earth, lived, purchased salvation for us, and returned and was seated to the same place of glory and deity that he had before he came here. Okay, here's a rhetorical question. We've got God's word here. We know that it's the eternal word of the God that created heaven and earth. That tells us right away that if this is his word, that in the original form, in the original text, this word is probably so deep and so complex that it has things in here that we'll probably never know till he shows us. But do you think it's possible that in the first sentence of the Bible, God may have put things in there that are extra special? Well, we're going to take a look at that later, and I think we're going to find that there are extra special things in that verse. Well, I love rocks. I, for, a lot of you probably know that. I'm a rock collector, and I, I just love rocks. And the main reason I love rocks is because I see in rocks God's uh, an aspect, I mean, his, his artistry is everywhere, but a particular aspect of God's artistry 
that I just am never, I never have enough of it. It's, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by. And this here is one of the agates I have, and I cut it open, and that pattern was inside of it. And I just love looking at that stuff. And you know, there's nothing like going out, for me anyway, and you're hunting for agates, and it requires work. I mean, you have to go out and search for this stuff. And I've been out with my kids, and we went through rivers and weeds and thorn bushes, and, and we were, you know, out in the heat, and, and you, you finally get to the spot, and you're looking, and there's all these regular rocks, you know. But then when you see that one rock that looks like that, in just in the dirt, and part of it's exposed, there's just a thrill that you get that goes through your, your heart, and it, it stuns you. And that's what agate collectors call it. They'll, they'll show, you, show you an agate and they'll say, this one's a stunner, you know. Because when you see that there, you literally have a little, at least for me, I get stunned a little bit because of the beauty just jumps at you, you know. And it, for me, it's a source of praise, you know. So the thing that I've found as a Christian is that God's word is like this too. That God hides things, truths, knowledge, and wisdom in his word that he wants us to go in there and seek after. And it's very rewarding when we find these things. It's like looking for hidden treasure. And so I, I've got some good news for you, too. I don't know how many of you like rocks, but when we get to heaven, the Bible tells us that we're going to get a present from Jesus. And you know what it's going to be? It's going to be a rock. I'm not kidding. And I've got the scripture to back it up. It's in Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Again, the idea that God hides things and wants us to find them. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So we're all going to have a gift given to us from Christ. He's going to write our new name on that, and nobody else in heaven is going to know that. And I find that interesting. I don't know for sure if this is all what it's about, but I think when we get to heaven, everything's going to be transparent. We're going to know God. We're going to know each other. Nothing, there's going to be no secrets. It's all going to be open, except God's going to always, for eternity, have that specific, special name that he calls you alone. That's a personal connection that no one will ever know. It's, it's, it's similar in some ways, I think, like a pet name for a spouse. And you'll always have that special connection between you and God. So I'm looking forward to that day. So God is a God who hides things in his word, and he wants us to look for them and find them. In Proverbs 25, 2, it talks about this, and it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter or hide a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. I like the Aramaic Bible in plain English, which says it a little differently. It's a little more of a literal translation of this verse, and it says, It is the glory of God that hides the word and the glory of kings that seeks for the word. So what are we really looking for when we're seeking in God's word? We're, we're seeking to know Jesus better. We're seeking to see Jesus. Where are you in here? We want to know your glory. We want to know your name. We want to see your salvation. Those are the things we're looking for, and they're in there. It's like treasure mining. And Proverbs tells us about this in Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then 
you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So there he's telling us the knowledge of God is like hidden treasure, and that if we seek for it, he'll give it to us. Jesus also spoke of the same theme in the New Testament. He said in Matthew 13, 44 to 47, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Treasure hidden. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine agates, superior agates. That's the Korobic translation. <laughs> Actually, pearls, fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, the greatest of knowledge that we can find is really the gospel. The gospel, and I believe that's what Jesus is talking about, the identity of who Jesus is and what he has done for us at its heart is the greatest, most valuable treasure anybody can find. But when we find that and we become Christians, really, that's the beginning of the treasure hunt. That's just the start of it. There's a lot more for us to discover and find in God's word. Now, the idea that God hides things and wants us to find them, the Bible tells us in the New Testament many times about this theme. Uh, for example, one, one thing in the Old Testament that was veiled or hidden that we now know about in the New Testament is the temple. The Old Testament temple had, it was chock full of teachings and symbolism about who Jesus is and what he was going to do for salvation. You had the temple, you had the ark that was inside, the furniture, the menorah, the table of showbread, some of these things are up here, and then the curtain, and so forth. Well, specifically the curtain. The curtain was huge. It was approximately 60 feet tall and 20 to 30 feet wide. Some traditions say that it was about three, four inches thick, this big separator. And the temple was made in a way that there was a spot called the holy place. And then there was the holy of holies. And God was inside of the holy of holies, but he was separated by this giant curtain. And the Bible tells us that that's a teaching for us that before Jesus died for our sins and purchased our salvation, we weren't allowed to just go right into God's presence. He's holy. You can't do that. So there was a separation. But it says in the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a great earthquake. And then this big curtain that was impossible for a person to rip open. God himself ripped this thing open and showed us that sins had been paid for. Access to God. Relationship with God was now open. And sin, sin was, was paid for. But then in the book of Hebrews, it says something really interesting. It says that that veil was his body. So before Jesus came and before we had the New Testament, no one really knew what that was. It was just this big curtain hanging there. You had the idea that it was separating, but you didn't know that it was Jesus' body. But now, with the New Testament, it sheds light on the Old Testament, and you can see what everything means. So that was something that God hid in the Old Testament that now in the New Testament we can see. And in fact, Jesus in John 2.19 said about his body, he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. He compared himself with the Old Testament temple because in many ways they were similar. And then if you remember too, there was two disciples after Jesus died on the cross. They were sad because their hope, they had hope and they believed that Jesus might have been the one that was promised, you know. And so they're, they're sad and they're forlorn and they're walking along this road called the road to Emmaus. And the Bible tells us in Luke 24, 27 that Jesus came alongside them, but he was not recognizable. I don't know how he did that, but they didn't know it was him. And this is what it says. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he went into the Old Testament and he said, whatever he said, I don't know for sure, but basically he said something to the effect of probably, you see when Joseph in the Old Testament did this? That was a picture of the Christ. You see when David did this? That was a picture of the Christ. You see the furniture here in the in, in, in the temple? Well, this is a picture of the, the veil. You know, the veil was torn. That was a picture of Christ. I don't know how he did it, but he started to show that these hidden things had meaning about the Christ. So the Old Testament is full of teachings about Jesus and types and shadows of Jesus. There's an old saying that says, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament, but it's concealed. And with the New Testament now, and with the understanding of who Jesus is, we can go into the Old Testament, and we can start looking at it, and we can go, there's Jesus there. That's really Jesus. And we can start to see all the places that honestly are all over the place that are showing us Jesus and what he's done. Jesus tells us something about his word. He tells us something about the scripture that's really important that we know. And in its original form, in the Hebrew, in the Greek, in its original manuscripts when it was originally written down, it is very exacting. The Word of God has meaning that goes all the way down to the letters and beyond. And Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, you can see up here, this is Hebrew. And a jot is basically kind of an apostrophe. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. It's also called a yod. And then a tittle is even more significant. A tittle is these little curves that are on the edges of the fonts. And Jesus said even that has meaning. So God's word goes, goes deeper than we know. And, and he said that it all points to something until all is fulfilled. Well, we're going to take a look in Revelation and, and see what Jesus said about himself. He said three very fascinating and interesting phrases. And so I'm going to read these three uh, verses, but first I'm going to grab a quick drink. Okay, the scene is the book of Revelation. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God, he said. He was being persecuted. Jesus came to him in glorified form after he was resurrected and had gone to heaven. And John sees the resurrected Lord Jesus. And Jesus says these fantastic things to John. Revelation 1.8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is saying this about himself. Revelation 1, 17 through 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then in Revelation 22, 13, it puts it all together. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the end. The beginning and the end. So we're going to look specifically at these three phrases and see what Jesus meant by these. The first and the last. Really, what first and the last means is that Jesus is the sovereign of nations. He's the Lord of history. 
When history began, he was there guiding the first nation. When history ends, he will be the one guiding the last. He's the Lord of all of history. Nothing can happen without his permission and guidance. And in Isaiah, the phrases that Jesus is using here come from Old Testament. When God was talking in Isaiah 41.4, this is Yahweh of the Old Testament speaking, who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. The amplified version really brings out the flavor of what's being said here. Who has performed and done this, calling forth and guiding the destinies of the generations of the nations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, existing before history began, the ever-present, unchanging God, I am he. So Jesus says that he's this one, speaking in the Old Testament. And then in Isaiah 44, 6, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I'm the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. So Jesus quotes this himself, saying this about him, connecting himself with the God of the Old Testament and the one who was speaking there. Jesus is God. And it's fully being revealed now. The revelation means the unveiling. We're seeing the true identity of who this, who this great being is. It, it is God. He is God. And then there's the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end really has to do with time. He was there at the beginning. He will be there at the end. Remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then in uh, Revelation 1, it says it in a different way, which is, which was, and which is to come. God is eternal. And really what this is, is if you remember in the Old Testament, Moses was at the burning bush, and God was commissioning him to go take the Israelites out of Egypt. And so then Moses says, well, wait a minute. What if they ask me what your name is? And God tells them, tell them my name is I am. And I am really has to do with eternity. I exist. I've always existed. I'm the one that has always been. And so really what Jesus is saying here is another way of saying the name of God. He's saying I'm the beginning and the end. I am the, the one who always has been. So again, Jesus is calling, he's, he's saying that he is deity here. But now we're going to look at the third thing that Jesus said, and this one gets very fascinating and very interesting. And it's, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, I think most of us probably know Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. They look like that. Looks like our A, and then the other one looks like a horseshoe to me, but... Uh, but, but that's the Alpha and the Omega. So we don't find this phrase in the New Testament anywhere else exactly like this. And so what we usually do is we, if we want to study the scriptures, we'll say, well, let's go to the Old Testament. We'll see if we can find anything there. And so that's what we're going to do in a minute. But really, what Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, if you translated that to English, he said, I'm the A and the Z. But really what Jesus didn't say was, I'm just the A and just the Z. What he really did was summarize, I'm the A through the Z. I'm the Alpha through the Omega. And in a way, Jesus is saying, I, I'm the alphabet. It's on face value. That's kind of what, what you get the, the impression of here. Now, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, but that doesn't mean that all the conversations in the New Testament took place in Greek. I believe that this conversation took place in Hebrew. 
just on face value, the language of the, the Jewish people, the main language was Hebrew. So just from that angle, Jesus probably was speaking to John in Hebrew. But there is a verse in the New Testament that I think gives us the clue that we need to confirm this for sure. And that is in Acts 26, 13 through 15, when Paul, he's giving an account of what happened to him when he saw Jesus and fell off his horse and had his life changed. And this is what he said. At midday on the road, O king, I saw a light from heaven above, the brightness of the sun having shone around me and those journeying with me. And all of us having fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language. The Holy Spirit didn't put that there for no reason. And I believe that's to show us something here. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. So Jesus, after he was resurrected, appears to an apostle, or at least going to be apostle. And the Bible tells us he spoke to him in the Hebrew language. So we have the same thing happening in Revelation. We have the glorified Jesus appearing to an apostle and speaking to him. He was very much most likely speaking Hebrew. So the question becomes, well, what if we translate this into Hebrew then? What did Jesus say in Hebrew? And what he said was, I am the Aleph and the Tav. Aleph is the first letter in Hebrew. Tav is the last. And this is what it looks like. Now, Hebrew is written, written backwards from English. So if you read a book in Hebrew, you start at the right side of the page and read to the left. And even the words are spelled completely opposite from English. So actually, the Aleph is on the right and the Tav is on the left there. But that is Aleph and Tav. I'm the Aleph through the Tav. So as I was studying this, I started to ponder, some, ponder this. And I said, okay, Jesus is calling himself the A through the Z. He's calling himself the alphabet. What, what is he saying here? I mean, what does that mean? And I started to think, and I thought, well, what do letters have to do with? Letters are the building blocks of words, right? He's calling himself the building blocks of words. And then I thought, well, wait a minute here. I've heard of Jesus called the word before. And so I believe what Jesus is saying here isn't, he's just not every word and any word. He's saying, I am the Aleph and the Tav. I am every letter in this book is about me. I'm the word of God, he's saying. It's a synonym for the word of God is all it really is. It's another way of saying the same thing. And so let's go ahead and let's look back in the Old Testament now, and we're going to see if we can find any connections that are going to give us greater understanding for this phrase that Jesus used about himself. So we have the phrase, Jesus calls himself the first and the last, and he calls himself the beginning and the end. Well, we're looking in the end and the last book of the Bible now about this phrase. Let's go to the first book of the Bible and the beginning book, and let's see if we can see anything there in fact, we're going to go right to the very beginning of the book. We're going to go to Genesis 1.1, and we're going to see what we can see here. Okay. All right. We just start off with the verse in English. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all know that verse. But what we're going to do is we're going to convert this to Hebrew. Okay, now we, the first thing I want to do here now, this is the literal Hebrew, how it was written down by Moses. And we're going to count the number of words that are in this verse. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
There's exactly seven words in this verse. And I think most of us know seven is God's number, and it's the number of completeness or perfection. So I think what God is hinting to us is this is a perfect verse. It's a perfect start to his word. Okay, so let's, let's convert this to English here and still see the Hebrew. Okay, this is the literal translation of what this verse says. Beginning created God, untranslatable word, heavens and earth. Okay, one quick thing I'll point out is remember Jesus said, I am the beginning and the end, didn't he? Even the first word of the Bible is, is the name of Jesus, you could say. But this here is what I want to focus in on. The exact center of the first verse of the Bible is this word right here, and it's an untranslatable word, and the, the pronunciation of it is eighth. It's kind of like seventh, eighth, ninth. And it's, it's a difficult word to translate, and it's kind of hidden there. We don't see it in English. But it's, it loosely has the idea to do with self. And so what we're going to do is we are going to now pull in John 1. John 1, you guys are familiar with this verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so forth. Now, what John is doing, John the Apostle, is he's telling us what the deeper meaning is of the first part of the Bible. Jewish, uh, the way the Jews used to, or the name the Jews used to call this is a midrash. It's basically explaining the deeper meaning of Scripture. It's expounding on Scripture. And this is what John is doing with the light of the Holy Spirit, showing him what the deeper meaning is. And he had access to the Hebrew manuscripts too. So he's looking at the Hebrew and he's telling us, in the beginning, you can see it starts off exactly the same as Genesis 1.1. So he's talking about that verse. Was the word, and the word was with God, was distinct from God, and the word was God, yet he was divine. So he's telling us Jesus is, Jesus is in the first verse of the Bible. I believe that's what he's saying here. But we don't see that in English. And then he says, all things were made by him. Without him, not anything was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life is the light of all mankind. So he's, he's saying it's the cre he's the creator. And, he, and then he references light. Light is right in the beginning of Genesis. All this has to do with John telling us the deeper meaning of the first verse and verses of Genesis. So in case you might not be convinced that the name word is talking about Jesus, Revelation 19 is, is where Jesus is ready to return. This is the prophecy of his second coming, and John sees him ready to come. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. So we know beyond any doubt, the Word is Jesus. But let's go back to the, we're going to use John 1.1 1, 1 as a lens or a magnifying glass to help us understand John, uh, Genesis 1.1 1, 1 better. Remember we talked about the Aleph in the Tav. Jesus said, I'm the Aleph in the Tav. Here is an Aleph and a Tav. And John is telling us, an Aleph and Tav we discussed really is synonymous with saying he's the Word. It means the Word. In the beginning was the Word... The Word was with God. There's a reference to God the Father. 
And the Word was God. Jesus is also God. He is divine. He was in the beginning with God. I believe that, the, that John is telling us that this is there, hidden in the first verse of the Bible. Jesus is right there, right in the beginning. But you have to have the New Testament to know that. The Old Testament Jews wouldn't have known that. But I, I was reading about this and studying it, and the, the rabbis were fascinated because they didn't know why that was there. They were kind of, oh, this is really fascinating because they really studied word construction and everything, and they, they made comments about it that, well, this is really weird. And they came up with these theories and stuff about why that was there. But it is right in the center of the first verse of the Bible, which you might say the most important place. The Aleph and Tav equals the word, and the word is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God, and he's in the first verse of the Bible. Okay, now you might be saying to yourself, I'm not totally convinced you know, that, that that's Jesus right there, but we're going to look, and, and look at another scripture that I think will shed more light on this. And we're going to go to the book of Zechariah. Now, the Zechariah is a very prophetic book. And there's a lot of very interesting prophecies that are in Zechariah. And here's one of them that we're probably all familiar with. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is Jesus' triumphal entry. It's in Zechariah. And Zechariah has a lot of stuff that has to do with eschatology or the last days as well. And that's, that's what we're going to focus on. Here's the verse. Okay, this chapter, chapter 12, really the whole chapter is basically Armageddon. The, the, uh, it talks about all the armies of the earth gathered around Jerusalem in this chapter. And this verse is an extremely important verse. It is kind of a climax to Jewish history verse. And and, and what it is, is let's, let's talk about the life of Joseph, and I think we can get a better understanding. The, the life of Joseph basically was an outline of, of the Jewish history. If you remember, Joseph was the favorite son of the father, just like Jesus was the favorite son of the father. The brothers hated him, and they pretended to kill him, but the idea is they, quote-unquote, killed him, and they wiped blood on his clothes, and they showed the father, and the father was distressed. And then... He became a slave and he, he went to Egypt. Well, he was raised to the right hand of the, of, of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And that's showing us the same thing with Jesus. Jesus, after his death and exaltation, was raised to the right hand of the Father. So we can see these images in the Old Testament showing us what's going to happen to Jesus. Well, then the brothers, because of a famine, had to come all the way to Egypt to get food. And they were face to face with their brother the one that had been raised to the right hand of Pharaoh, and they didn't recognize him the first time, just like the, the Jewish people really didn't recognize Jesus the first time. So they went back, and the second time that they came was the time when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and they recognized him, and they were reconciled. Well, that's kind of an outline of Jewish history. God is going to reach out to the Jews, and a remnant, a large remnant of them, is going to be saved. And that's talked about in Romans 9 through 11. So there's coming a time when a large contingent of Jews are going to recognize Jesus, because this verse is telling us the prophecy of that. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. This is God talking here. They'll look on me, the one they have pierced. 
And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. This is talking about the time when Jesus is going to make a special revelation of himself to the Jews in the very last time. And they're going to recognize they crucified their king. And they're going to be grieved like a child has died. But the thing I want to focus in on, and we know that this is Jesus. They'll look on, it's God talking. They'll look on me, the one they have pierced. I mean, that's easy to figure out. Who have they pierced? Jesus. It's this word right here, me. We're going to look at that. And that word in Hebrew is Aleph Tav. It's the same word that's in the very center of the first verse of the Bible in Genesis. It's Jesus. Okay. The last thing that I want to show here is I also believe that that in this verse there's even a picture in here that we can see that's really glorious. And what I first would just want to talk about is, is Christ. He's the wisdom of God. He's, he's, he's the personified wisdom of God. And in the New Testament, Christ is called the wisdom of God in several places. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, it says, But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, it says, But we speak a wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Really the gospel, but yet the person of Jesus. Colossians 2, 2 through 3, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Christ is personified here, and also in the Old Testament, this is where we're going to get a key link, in Proverbs 8, 22 to 30. If you read commentators, if you talk to people about what this is, most of them are going to tell you this is a pre-incarnate Jesus speaking through the words of Proverbs and revealing himself as the wisdom of God. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I've been established from everlasting from the beginning before there ever was an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations of the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, and this is the part that is the clue, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. So Jesus, speaking through the, the wisdom in, in, in Proverbs, says, I was beside him right at the beginning, at the creation. During creation, I was there as a master craftsman. He is the co-creator. So now with, with all these things that I've been talking about, let's take one more look at Genesis 1.1, and I think we can see something here that uh, that's hidden as a picture inside the Hebrew text. Again, John 17, 5. Now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. Jesus was at the side of the Father before the world was created. And then we're going to look at the Hebrew to English. 
Okay, now, and John says, remember, and the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So we see, as now we can understand that that's Jesus, a reference to Jesus in the center, and then God the Father is, is referenced right there next to him. So then putting it all together, I believe what we're seeing here is at the very first verse of the Bible, we see God the Father and Christ right at his right hand, right hidden in the text of the Hebrew. So, so the other aspect is this too. Jesus said, I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. We can see that he called himself the beginning, which is the first word in the Bible. He's also in the center of the first verse of the Bible of the Hebrew as the Aleph and the Tav. What about the last verse of the Bible? Well, if you go to the last verse in the Bible, it's Revelation 22:21. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He's in the last verse too. And not only that, but technically, amen, at the very last verse, Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea says, I am the amen, he says, in Revelation 3.14. So you could say that even the last word, the first word and the last word are also references to Jesus. I'm the first and the last. He's the Aleph and the Tav. He's the word of God. From the opening moment to the end, it's all about him. Well, worship team, you can come up. I'm going to conclude here. So what's the conclusion of all this? Well, we know this is the Word of God. There's no other book that you can look into and you can see these correlations and these symbologies like the Bible. It's the Word of God. The Koran, it's not, it's not the Word of God. And Jesus says he's the first and the last. He said he is the sovereign over the nations. How much more when we are his sheep and we are his people is he in control of our lives and leading us? He's trustworthy and true. He's the great treasure. Jesus himself is the great treasure. And he wants to be personal and intimate with all of us. And if you don't know Jesus in a personal, intimate way, you can get to know him that way. That's what he wants. This great God, this great being that created heaven and earth, says these things in John. John 17:3. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's what eternal life is. It's knowing God. It's not necessarily a place. It's a person. It's knowing God. And then in John 14, 23, Jesus said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. That's what Jesus wants. He wants to be in your home. He wants to be in your heart. He wants to have that relationship that he wants to fellowship with you and eat with you and just like he did with his disciples. So I hope this has been a blessing to you as it was for me.